Hi everyone, my name's Kathy Kelly and I want to welcome you to Freedom Church and our online Sunday service. It's really great that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us and my hope is that as we worship together this morning and hear God's words that you'll leave our time together changed, that you'll be uplifted and filled with peace and joy but also provoked by what has been said. Mark Kelly is our speaker this morning and he's going to bring part one of some teaching about unity. If you're watching for the first time, I want to welcome you especially. You might be a Christian of many years or you might be still seeking answers to the meaning of life. Wherever you are on that journey of faith, we're so glad you've decided to connect with us today. The order of service for our Sunday looks something like this. We sing a couple of worship songs, watch some quick notices, and then we have our main sermon. And after, if there's still time, we sing another worship song before ending with a few announcements. So make sure to stick with us until the very end. We're about to begin. So have you put your phone on silent? Have you found a good seat and got a cuppa to hand? You have? Great. Then I'm going to say a quick prayer. Father God, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us and that just as you are one, Father, Son and Spirit, so we are made one with you. And we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts today so we can see things from your perspective through your eyes of love. Mould us and shape us to be more like Jesus. Amen. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My way. Hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. your home. 
Hi everyone, uh, I'm Mark. Good to be with you again. Um, thanks for joining me for this next uh, 20 to 30 minutes as I share a message with you. Um, let me just pray first before I begin, because I want this message to go a lot deeper um, than just surface level. I want it to be able to begin to change hearts and, and minds. Um, yeah, Father, thank you for what you've You've given me to share this morning. And Father, like a like an arrow, will you let it just pierce deep into people's hearts so that as they listen, they're not really, yeah, as they listen, Father, let them not really hear my words, but actually hear, um, hear your spirit through them. Let us leave our hour together this morning, different people. Father, thank you for just using me as a vessel to bring your word to the church today. Amen. Listen, there's been a lot said on social media this last week concerning the murder of, of George Floyd over in the US. And in fact, I've I posted, I posted a video uh, response to it, along with uh, many other people, people both black and white. And quite rightly, there's been a lot of mainstream news time devoted to it and, and the ongoing protests that have followed. And there's been plenty of articles appear uh, that have a focus of race. And as I thought about what I could bring today, I felt convicted 
not to ignore what is happening, and that's why I made the video, that's why I've done a blog post, that's why I've shared certain things on social media. Um, I don't ignore what's happening, but I realise as a, as, a, as a white middle-class person, I I couldn't bring a wholly rounded view on on it, on on the murder, on racism, and and I certainly I certainly can't comment on how black people and and folks of of other ethnicities should respond or feel. If I thought I could, that would be absolutely ridiculous. However, as a Christian leader. I certainly feel I've got quite a bit to say about the problem of evil, of which racism is is a part of that diabolical package, and and how Satan's number one strategy is to divide and conquer. In other words, kill unity wherever it begins to build. And as I mentioned, there are plenty of places online where you'll find commentary on racism, both from uh, an emotive angle and an intellectual one. And I encourage you to seek those out. In fact, in fact, while I'm talking, um, why not write in the comments or if you're on YouTube right now on the live chat, any links uh, to articles or videos which you believe are helpful to the discussion or pointers in the direction of, of books that might be useful to to pick up and read, that'd be really helpful. But today I'm, I'm gonna talk about the devil's strategy of divide and conquer and how we might respond when, when unity seems to be dissolving in front of our eyes. Because this not only applies to race, but anything, anywhere where people have different thoughts and opinions, different ideologies and indeed different theologies. But first, I think we need to define what we mean by divide and conquer. Well, it's a strategy of war. It's where one side tries to divide the forces of the other, uh, weaken their defences, and obviously then leave them vulnerable to attack. We can see this tactic working right from the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, in Genesis. I'm going to show you my Bible, but I've only got my phone, which has my Bible on it. But anyway, if you go to Genesis, you you see that Satan tries to divide and conquer, we could say successful, I guess, uh, the first people we're introduced to. And, and he brings disunity to the unity that they have as God's created beings. So not only does the enemy create this division between men and women, but it then creates further disunity between God and human beings. And Genesis, if you read it, tells us uh, that they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. But once they'd sinned, after they'd let the divisiveness of Satan enter their hearts, they hid from God and, and covered their, their naked bodies, it says. And for the very first time, they felt ashamed. Now, this, this is a tactic that Satan uses in all sorts of areas. But one area in particular, and one that I can speak about, speak from, is the body of Christ. Because he knows that a disunified church is weak and dysfunctional. And if we're weak and dysfunctional, our voices, the things we do, they're going to have very little impact. 
So the first thing, the first thing that Satan does in breaking down unity is trying to get us to think, and this is what this is important, trying to get us to think that unity equals sameness. Unity equals sameness. And that just isn't true. Unity actually brings people together from different walks of life. People of different desires and tastes, different class, and yes, different races. People are choosing to come under a banner of unity for a specific purpose, vision, and direction. Unity isn't uniformity. We don't all have to think the same to have the same goal. We don't all have to act the same to achieve the goal. And um, um, we don't all have to look the same to, to share the goal. Talking of goals, say, well, let me give an example. Think about football. If you're watching in the US, I'm talking about real football, you know, the game where it's played with your feet. So in football, you have two sides, don't you? And both want the same, well, want literally the same goal. They want to score more goals than the other side and win the game. But does that mean that both sides then are just full of forwards, strikers, attackers, whatever you want to call them? I remember at school, which was a long time ago now, but clearly um, clearly there are things that have stuck with me. And one of those is football, because I remember that everyone seemed to always want to play in the position of the striker. Nobody ever really wanted to play in the defensive role, oh, be in the goal itself, be a goalkeeper. So um, we came with a strategy, and I'm sure we weren't the first people to do this, came with a strategy of call, something called goalie when needed. And I'm sure that most of you out there who are even a little bit sporty, you, you must have heard of that. And if you haven't, well, basically, it meant that someone, whoever was nearest the goal when, when the opposition were attacking, had to run as fast as they could back to their team's goal and become the, the goalkeeper in the hopes of stopping the shot, if it was even on target. I mean, And ultimately... That led to scores of ridiculous levels, 15, 20, 30, I don't know, just went on and on. Depending on how long you played the game for, I remember loads of games um, we would never play for 90 minutes. they just go on and on, long after the sun went down. And it was only after a little while you realised you couldn't actually see anybody anymore. Um, and, you know, no one could remember the score. And, and the goal of winning just, just vanished because you just keep on scoring goal after goal after goal. Um, a good game of football... It was fun, but it wasn't a good game of football because that doesn't happen when everyone wants to play striker. Chaos generally ensues. And, and this the unifying goal of, of winning rarely happens. In football, in a good game of football, you need different people playing different positions. Attackers, midfielders, defenders and the goalkeeper. You need all these different people playing these different roles to achieve the same unifying goal, literally and figuratively. And when you think about the church, think about it, it's different people, different races, different cultures even. We're all playing different roles. We're serving in all sorts of, of different ways, but we all have the same goal, which is telling people about Jesus, showing people Jesus, 
that he's the centre of it all. And I think I think the church is an awesome part of God's plan to, to, to bring people together of all types. And if we choose not to be part of his church, which quite often is represented by the local church, even if it's digital as we are right now, then, then I think we're missing playing our part in God's plan. The church should be a place where distinction doesn't cause division because of our unity in Christ. When, when believers come together, virtually or physically, and, and, and when we operate in biblical unity, we can't be divided or conquered. And in fact, we'll be victorious in advancing God's kingdom as we share the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, in one unifying voice. But how does unity and uniqueness coexist in the church? And I think we're helped towards answering this question uh, by looking at a verse from Scripture. So maybe you want to open your Bibles now and just turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And we'll just read from verse 14 to 16. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And this, this is awesome. Um, but when we get to the last bit of uh, verse 14, I think it will blow your mind. Anyway, let's read together. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that has separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune presence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity, Jews and non-Jews fused together. Sorry, it's 16, it's verse 16 that... that blows me away. Two have become one and we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. And, and earlier on uh, in this, this bit of scripture, uh, it says that ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. I know that it's talking about Jew and non-Jew, but hey, I think we can apply it to where we are right now in our world. Ethnic hatred has died. It's gone. It's been done with. It's been dealt with. No Christian should, should have any, any anything in them as they're, as they're growing into maturity with, with, with God that, that looks anything like... Uh, racism and what we're experiencing right now it should it all be about unity and in fact if we read um ephesians 4 from uh chapter 13 well just uh, sorry ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 it actually says this it says these grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith until we all experience uh, the, the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one into a perfect man 
with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. So when we're trying to answer that question with those two verses, and the question was, how does unity and uniqueness coexist? Well, obviously, part of it is by recognizing what happened on the cross, which I talked about uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. But then this in Ephesians chapter 4 here, it says right at the end, we we, we, we they can coexist when, when we, we reach levels of spiritual maturity and we understand what it is uh, to be uh, to have Christ living in us, to to be more like him. In Joel 2.28, uh, it tells us that God promises to pour out his spirit on all people. And Revelation 7 talks about people coming together to worship Jesus, the Lamb of God, from every nation and tribe and people group and language. Check that out in verse 9. It says they were crying out with a loud voice, singular, together in unity. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. The second way that the enemy tries to divide and conquer because that's what we're trying to answer you know we're trying to look at how he tries to divide and conquer the second way is to convince us that we'll lose ourselves in the oneness of unity and i know i know that sounds a little bit like the first way of where he causes division where it's suggested that unity means we're all the same but there is a subtle difference that the first is attacking our role and diminishing our unique contribution to the body. And this second way, this way where individuality is suggesting that individuality uh, uh, will we'll lose that as we, as we come together in the oneness of unity. Um, the second way is attacking the very essence of what makes us who we are. But before we dive any more into this, um, I want to begin by getting you to think about uh, this question. And again, Leave your answers uh, uh, in the comments and, and the live stream too. Here's a question. What is the epitome of unity? What is the epitome of unity? An epitome means uh, the typical example of something ideal. It's, it's a perfect representation of something. So what comes to mind when you think about that word in terms of unity? And further to that, what examples of unity can you think of? So let me just repeat the question. What's the epitome of unity? Can you think about that? And then what examples of, of unity can, can you think of? And again, post, post in the comments. There might be examples of unity like, uh, well, like playing for a football team, as, we, as I talked about. Um, or even a, a band of brothers in a, a theatre of war. So that that's unity, but but are they are they are they that's representation of unity? But are they perfect? Are, are those examples of the epitome of unity? And even the ones you're thinking about now, or maybe you've even posted, I'm uh, unless you've mentioned one in particular, I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not. At least my examples aren't because. Here, here we go. We might all have heard of examples of the prima donna in a football club. You know, like he's an amazing player. He's been bought for gazillions, but he's, but he's, he's brought into the team, which had been previously playing well. And, and suddenly 
there's disunity in the squad, and then the results start dropping. They stop. They start losing matches because because this this new player was supposed to be amazing. He's actually got a bad attitude, and he's got he's got poor regard for others. So that's not unity, is it? It's not the epitome of unity, or or the band of brothers, you know, where one begins to eye promotion at the expense of maintaining a good relationship with uh, those he was previously close to. The only perfect example of unity, and maybe you mentioned this, maybe you've thought about this, the only example of unity I can think of is, is the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is God, but he's God existing eternally as three distinct persons. God isn't expressed by three different sides of himself or three different gods working as one. The three persons of the Trinity are all equally God, but different, distinct, but existing in perfect fellowship and community with one another. The example here is that unity doesn't negate individuality. And why am I mentioning that? Because I think God's creation follows that amazing plan. Uh, sorry, a pattern, that amazing pattern. When, when we look around the world, we see uh, different colours, races, shapes and styles. We got a glimpse, I think, of what God intended before the fall, before Satan corrupted creation with his deceit. And every race has the potential to add something amazing to the human family, yet remain unique and all the better for it. God's desire for creation is the example he wants his church to set, one that embraces our uniqueness while also maintaining Christian unity. And God has set the perfect example for us to follow as we look at the Trinity. So how can, how can you add to the whole? How can you model God's example of unity in your life? Let me read you a prayer that Jesus prays to God, his Father. It's uh, John 17. I'll try and find it now. That's near the beginning of your New Testament. Uh, John 17 from verse 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right. Let me just read it. If you find it brilliant, I think I'm going to try and put it on screen as well. And I ask not only for these disciples, also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me now and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. 
Before I finish, let me directly connect with what I've uh, talked about today with the issue um, that we, we mentioned at the start. How do we respond to the racial issues and unrest that we're seeing in our world right now? And we'll continue to see until there's a fundamental change. How can we demonstrate we're not racist or prejudiced? Here's a thing. Maybe it's not rocket science. Maybe we're overthinking it. The answer, I think, takes some humility, uh, a heart set for perseverance, uh, and an attitude of selflessness. Maybe the answer is to sincerely do what Jesus did, and that is to love people. Not a, not a light kind of love, a, a huggy love, a celebrity love. You know what I mean by that? Uh, it's like when the, the singer cries out to the crowd uh, that adores her. And she goes, I love you. It's easy to love like that when you're in a position of comfort, when nothing's really expected of you other than like a, a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. The love that Jesus showed us is a love that, that sacrifices a love that never stops giving, even when all around there's hate and mistrust. Here's a popular verse that we all know, if we're Christians anyway, we'll know it. But it means so much. John 3.16 But this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. Everyone who believes in him will never perish. And everyone does not mean some people, but it starts with each one of us individually. Let love rule our thoughts. Let love rule our hearts. Let love rule our words. And let love rule our actions. That's God love. Let his love be your motivation. So full to the brim of his love that you can't help but leak wherever you go, whatever you do. And I want to finish by reading you. Uh, what, again, you'll know this. And even if you're not a Christian, you'll, you'll know because you'll have heard it at so many weddings probably. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. And again, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. So it's a little bit different, but it is beautiful. 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly speak, uh, seek its own honour. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offence. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up.
we're going to look next week at another two ways in which the enemy tries to divide and conquer. Until then, bless you. Keep praying for our world and keep stepping out there and doing what you can do. I'll try and put some links maybe in the in the comment below uh, this video, both on Facebook and YouTube, but maybe take it to some places that can help you be a little bit more proactive in responding to what we're hearing in the world and what we're seeing in the world right now. I'll, I'll try and do that. All right. Bless you. Take care. Bye-bye.
Well, our time together is almost over, but there are more opportunities to get together this week. I hope you were able to make note of the various things we're doing via Zoom calls during lockdown, such as prayer and Bible study and youth meeting. And I really wanna encourage members of Freedom Church who are part of a triplet to try your best to get together online, even if it's just for 30 minutes. And speaking of 30 minutes, every Sunday we host a Freedom Church Hangout session via Zoom for 30 minutes at 12.15. And the meeting ID number will show up near the end of this broadcast. So why not jump on for five minutes or 15 or the full 30? It'd be really good to say hello and have a catch up and also to find out how you found today's service. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, and maybe even click or tap the notification bell. The more folks that do this, the more people who need to hear today's message might get it presented to them by YouTube's algorithms. If you're watching this on Facebook, please like the video, and we'd love you to like our Facebook page as well. And for both platforms, why not share the links on your social media feeds? Please consider giving to Freedom Church today. The details on how to do this are coming up. And one final thing. If you've just connected with us today and have watched all the way to the end, there's a good chance you might want to know more about us. And if that's the case, we'd love you to contact us. Just email us at hello at myfreedom.church and visit our website, myfreedom.church. Bless you all. Have a great week and see you soon. Thank you.